Today we're recording the season finale of season one of the Dark Things podcast. We have a very interesting, albeit creepy person to discuss as our finale. If you've seen the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, Psycho, or Silence of the Lambs, prepare yourself. We are going to discuss the killer body snatcher that inspired these terrifying cult classic films. We do want to put a disclaimer out there. This episode deals with murder, grave robbing, child abuse, and um, skinning people, making them into furniture. Yeah, that too. So stay tuned. You don't want to miss this. All right, Andrew. So going into this, tell me what you know about Ed Gein. Absolutely nothing. You didn't. You know nothing about Ed Gein? Yeah. Have you seen the Texas Chainsaw Massacre? No. <laughs> Was that mine or you? That was mine. Oh. You have not seen the movie The Texas Chainsaw Massacre? No. But you've obviously know what it's about, right? Like the guy that puts on people's faces and runs around with a chainsaw? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, okay, what about Psycho? Yeah, I know that one. Okay, you know how he has like that really creepy relationship with his mom? Right. Okay, this is going to be kind of like tying it all together. So, um, Ed Gein was also known as the Butcher of Plainfield, Plainfield, Wisconsin. He killed at least two women in the 1950s and snatched dozens of bodies and body parts from the local cemetery in the dead of night. Why did he take bodies and body parts? Um, he's just a sick and perverse guy. So let's go into a little bit of backstory about Ed. Yeah, so as Hunter already um, told you guys, I obviously did not want to study for this one. I told Hunter he's got to do the research for Ed Gein because uh, he's too creepy for me. So that being said, uh, I'm going into this not knowing absolutely anything. But backstory for Ed Gein was he was born on the August August 8th in 1906 in La Crosse, Wisconsin. But his family soon moved to a farm outside Plainfield. His father held jobs as a tanner and carpenter when he wasn't working the farm, and Gein's mother emerged as the dominant parent, setting most family decision or um, setting most family decisions on her own. Yeah, so the mom, like from what I've read, she was a total like religious nut. And she would lock Ed and his brother Henry up in the closet, make him read out of the Bible and everything, you know, just like classic raising of a serial killer. Obviously, they didn't know, like, what made a serial killer back in the 1950s or um, when was this, 18? Yeah, like early, early 1800s. Um, but she was just a, a psycho whack job. So he was raised with his older brother Henry Gein. And the father, George Philip Gein, was a drunk and was absent for most of the children's youth. He was known for being a drunk within the town. And Augusta Wilhelmine Gein, she was the mom. Like I said, she was a religious fanatic. She believed that isolating her sons would protect them from the evils of the world. So, the, I mean, they never went into this town at all. And, I mean, the town already, Plainfield, Wisconsin, was already a really small town. And she basically just like locked him up inside the house and all through their youth. So, and she would force him to read out of the Bible uh, up until Ed was 34 years old. Oh my God. Yeah. Like she would, she would call him little Eddie and read him out of the, like read him passages from the Bible when he was 34 years old, as he was laying in bed. And this is so, fucked up. That's like, <laughs> you can just imagine like this 34 year old. That still six thinks foot he's a kid. Three guy. Yeah. Yeah. Just oh, little Eddie. They were going to read about David and Goliath. But he knows no different. Yeah. Just, God, dude. 
hairy ass man sitting in a crib being uh, read to his just creepy no. that's like never been out into the world i mean you you know you're raising a fucking serial killer yeah dude point. like no shit he was cutting pe- like skinning people alive uh-huh. like what the fuck bro yeah all right so apparently the mom told the boys that woman with the exception of herself were the, the devil's tools are you fucking kidding me yeah and by nature whores and prostitutes something interesting to note is that from childhood Gein had been ambiguous about his masculinity, considering amputation of his penis on several occasions. Yeah, this, this story. Yeah, so he was like uh, a 1900s like prospective tranny. That's like what he wanted to be because he huh. he was. I mean, he didn't really know any better. You know, he was raised just all on his own inside the house. But uh, there was. Um, I mean, we'll get into it later in the story. But he was very fascinated with female anatomy, and he kind of wanted to be one. That's, cr- well, I won't say like crazy, but that's insane, man. Yeah. All right. Ed Gein considered transsexual surgery. Wait, so he actually considered that other mm-hmm. than castrating himself? Well, I don't know if you can consider, because castration is when you remove your nuts, but he just wanted to remove <laughs> his dick. Yeah. All we'll right. Get technical, but I think that's what it is. <laughs> okay. So he considered the transsexual surgery, but he thought the process was costly and frightening. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no <laughs> shit. There must be other ways he thought of turning female on a part-time basis. Yep, and he definitely Damn. yeah. Yeah. So this already there's like a million red flags with this guy. Um neglect, child abuse from his dad and religious abuse from the mom. Obviously, he's got a pretty screwed up view on the world thinking that all women are evil besides his own mother. And this kind of plays a part of how the story develops and how he becomes like this, he worships his mom, basically. And he just loves his mom so much, we'll find out what he does to her. So, oh, I think I, I've actually heard something about this. We'll see. Yeah, like, it's just a, it's a lot of red flags already, and he's, like, like not even 10 years old at this point, so. Um, yeah, just really creepy. So, um, you want to go into that mental, into the mental health part? Oh, yeah, part? yeah. Okay, so Ed Gein apparently had somewhat high of a high intelligence. He was considered a model um, patient while he was incarcerated. He was diagnosed with schizophrenia, but in the late 1880s, this research was very null to non-existent. He was sent to a mental institution, and during his trial for his gruesome crimes, he was pronounced not guilty by reason of insanity and sentenced to life in the mental prison. Which, I mean, that makes sense, but from what I'm hearing, what he did, that's... I don't know. Yeah, we'll get into what he did, but it's just, I mean, he definitely had a lot of mental issues. The fact that he had a high IQ, that's also not uncommon for serial killers. Um, Ted Bundy had a really high IQ. He was a, pretty much a genius. Yeah. Uh, it's not uncommon for serial killers. Actually, most serial killers have a high IQ. So according to Harold Schnechter, he wrote a book called Deviant. It's a biography on Ed Gein. And... He said that the murderer was a perfect patient, blissful, calm, never requiring tranquilizers to keep him under control. And he got along really well with other patients. What do you think he felt at home while in confinement? Or why do you think he felt at home in confinement is a question that Harold asked. So I think he felt at home in confinement because he grew up in confinement, basically. Yeah. And his mom was very, like, an authoritative figure. And so... I think that that's why he felt at home. Somebody who was a child in an authoritarian home, um, Gein's mother, Augusta, was obviously pretty domineering, 
and she told him that women and sex were evil. Uh, they may feel familiarity or even compelled to repeat what was essentially a trauma for them. So living under very stringent rules without freedoms and being told what to do and how to think uh, is difficult for children. Some assimilate to the conditions, even though they may be angry about them and experience it as an ongoing chronic trauma. Then they replay that childhood trauma as adults and re reparticipate in the conditions as a way of managing and processing the trauma. Essentially, they are drawn to it. So I think that he did pretty well while he was in confinement because it was basically just like how his life was when he was a child. Uh, do you have any thoughts on that? Uh, yeah, so I think for me, like, I'm curious because I know at least uh, Ted Bundy, he also had a high intelligence, but for him, um, he specifically felt guilty about the stuff he was doing secretly. Like, I know that he converted to Mormonism for a bit, and it's like debatable on whether he did that. And I think there were some sources saying he did it because he wanted to try to feel better or something like that along those lines. But either way, it's kind of weird that with the things he was doing, he would convert to a religion. So I'm wondering with Ed Gein, if with him being in confinement, he was fine because maybe he felt like that was justifiable, like, or something like that. Um, I don't know. But at the same time, he was raised in confinement because so it'd be no wonder that he would feel comfortable in that scenario. But I don't know. Yeah. Uh, Ed had begun to develop a deeply unhealthy interest in the intimate anatomy of the female body and the interest that was fed by medical encyclopedias, books on anatomy, pulp horror novels, and pornographic magazines. He became particularly interested in the atrocities, atrocities committed by the Nazis during the Second World War and the medical experiments performed on the Jews in the concentration camps. All right. Yeah, I think that's pretty that's pretty scary. Um, so, yeah, when he was like 40, I think, or 35, he would read about the what was going on during World War II overseas and like the Jews in the concentration camps read like books on them and pamphlets and he like he was really into that. So, pretty creepy. Yeah. Interesting. All right. And then it says soon he graduated on to the real thing by digging up decaying female corpses by night in far-flung Wisconsin cemeteries. These he would dissect and keep some parts, heads, sex organs, livers, hearts, and intestines. Then he would flay the skin from the body. Oh, my God. Draping it. Yeah, like over. Bolton, Ramsey Bolton up in here. Yeah. <laughs> Flaying. Jeez, uh, I don't like that word. Flaying. <laughs> Flaying, Jesus. Um, all right. So he would flay the skin from the body, draping it over a tailor's dummy or even wearing it. <laughs> himself to dance and cavort around the homestead you, you must have a hard time getting through this oh bro you should imagine that like dancing just, like, around and the... you're just like a little kid and you're just like oh let's go see what ed gein's up to you know the creepy old man ed gein and like you walk up and you look through his window at night and you just see this like <laughs> flayed skin thing dancing around it in the middle of the night through the house i mean what would you do one, I'd be shocked, but two, I'd be more scared if I were to make eye contact with Ed Gein through the window. Just like drooping skin. Just yeah. like, I mean, can you imagine that? Ooh. Could you imagine him stopping the dancing because he's realized you're looking through his window and you make oh, eye contact shit. with him? <laughs> like, oh. I would get the hell out of there. Ooh. But so what I found was pretty interesting was like, so he would actually keep his eye on the obituaries and... Um, For like attractive females? Yeah, well, not necessarily attractive, but women that looked like his mother. Oh. Yeah, because he actually dug up his own mother. Mm. And kept her head. What the... 
My butt. Oh my. All right. Yeah. All right. All right. So <laughs> he had this really, like I said, he had a really unhealthy relationship with his mother. Yeah. And um, he would keep an eye on and his two murder victims that we'll talk about a little later. They were they resembled his mother quite a bit. Hmm. So it was like a mom fetish. Well, I I don't know because I don't know if it was a fetish or not, or if it was just like he missed his mom so much that he wanted to like be her, you know? Because I don't think he did anything sexual. So he basically idolized his mom to the point where she was a god in his eyes. Basically. Mm-hmm. Damn. Like I don't think there wasn't a whole lot of stuff on necrophilia. I mean, there you can infer some stuff, but. I think that I can't say it honestly. I don't know. Um, I didn't find too much about necrophilia, so I'm not gonna speculate on that. But I mean, it's possible because I mean he he had kind of like an obsession for sex organs and you know like yeah. women parts. Like they found like some vulva in a box. Yeah, that's odd. Just women's parts and stuff. They found like a belt made on nipples in his house. <laughs> Yeah. Well, anyway, so, um, yeah. So going on, they uh, he would, um, yeah, cavort around the homestead. You want to continue? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so cavort. All right, going going Shit. back because I stopped in the middle of a sentence, and it's going to be better if I start over. So it says he would flay the skin from the body, dripping it over a tailor's dummy, or even wearing it himself to dance and cavort around the homestead. A practice that apparently gave him intense gratification. So, popping, popping tents all over the house with his new skin. And then on other... <laughs> a filleted skin tent. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> yeah, but for real, though. All right. And then on other occasions, Gein took only the body parts that particularly, yeah, particularly interested him. Uh, he was especially fascinated by the excised female genitalia. Excised? Like cut out, not like aroused. Oh, exercised? <laughs> ah, okay. Um, all right. He was especially fascinated by the female genitalia, which he would fondle and play with, sometimes stuffing them into a pair of woman's panties, which he would then wear around the house. <laughs> not surprisingly. Yikes, this is getting weird. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Not surprisingly, he quickly became a recluse in the community, discouraging any visitors from coming near his now neglected and decaying farm. I, dude, I don't know what to feel about this guy. Like, I don't know whether to feel bad for him. Like, yeah, because that was a fucked up upbringing. Well, because by this point, he has nobody at home. The dad has either died or left town. The mom is dead and the brother is gone like way far away so and now at this point he hasn't killed anyone yet right he's no, just digging no, up bodies he just digs up graves and he boarded up his house okay. when the police went into the house it was like a hoarder's den so the did he hoard anything else or was it just the body parts i mean he had a lot of stuff scattered through his part through his uh farmhouse but overall like the most like messed up stuff they found was body parts in the house so right i don't know but the guy was a hoarder of Useless things and of uh, female genitalia as well. So, <laughs> um, so it says for ceremonial occasions. I don't know what that means, but um, he would dance around, dance underneath the moon, while he wore a human scalp and face, a skinned-out vest complete with breasts and female genitalia strapped above his own. By putting on another sex, essentially, in personality, Eames seemed to find a measure of contentment. 
but his resurrection raids eventually failed to satisfy a deeper need. Ed's fascination with the female body eventually led him to seek out fresher examples for his collection, and so he turned to murder. Ugh. So, I mean, just, yeah. Can you just imagine looking at this dude underneath the moon dancing around in this, like, get-up? Dude, I couldn't, man. That that would be horrifying. Yeah, I, that'd be a creepy sight. I don't even... It's hard to even imagine that happening. It's, it's awful. It seriously is terrible. So um, now we'll get into... At this point, he hasn't murdered anybody. He's just a really messed up individual that digs up graves. Right. Um, so, so going into the, this part of Ed's life, uh, he, needed, he felt a desire that he needed fresher bodies to satisfy his perverse cravings. So that led him to kill... This is his first victim, tavern owner Mary Hogan. He killed her on December 8th, 1954. And Ed didn't go out into the town much, but he did frequent Mary's tavern quite a bit. It was over seven miles away from his home. And the reason why is because Mary Hogan bore a very, very close resemblance to his mother. And police suspected foul play when she disappeared because they discovered a pool of blood and a 32 caliber cartridge in the tavern. And they had no other leads in this case, and so eventually just ran cold. So nobody knew what happened to her, but except they found the pool of blood and the caliber or the thirty-two caliber cartridge. I don't. So I don't know how to word this. Edgeen, as intelligent as he reportedly was, he sounds kind of like an idiot because, like, he's going out dancing underneath the moon. Like he's basically being asked to be caught. Essentially, I mean, I don't know how secluded. It was where it was probably up. pretty secluded. I so, mean, it was a farm in the middle of like Wisconsin, 1950s Wisconsin. So, I would think that it was probably secluded. Okay. Um, pretty far away from the actual city, like town of Plainfield, but I'm not sure. Okay, so I'll, I'll cast that aside then. So, I mean, with these fetishes, mental illness, whatever it is that's he's got with this female body, skin stuff, like how did he not get caught? you know, killing this tavern owner. Like, how... Yeah, I mean, if I was a police officer, that would be the first person I would suspect. You yeah. know, just this creepy guy that would frequent... Because the guy never goes out. Right. But he's been known to frequent the tavern. Like, why would you not immediately go to his house and look around? Mm-hmm. Just, I don't know. That's classic, like, old-style police work, you know? That's just, Yeah, I'm just confused, but... All right. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, you find a pool of blood, and you find a bullet cartridge... And you obviously would go through a list of suspects of who's been to the bar at least that night or the night before, you know. And if anybody was there, they would have said, oh, Ed here, Ed Gein was here. But Ed Gein rarely go- is seen in the town at all. Like, why wouldn't the police just go and, and right. I don't know. I mean, I, I bet the police work back then wasn't as good, but it was 1957. Like, it couldn't have been that bad. It couldn't have been that bad, like, yeah. The 50s, no it, was, it wasn't too bad. So, I don't know. But, um. Yeah, so we'll get into his next victim. Yeah, victim. so... And this is where he gets caught. Ooh, all right, all right, let's see this. Okay, on November 16, 1957, the majority of the men in Plainfield left for a nine-day deer hunting event. Ed, however, did not join them, and knowing the town would be mostly deserted, he chose to take a trip to Warner's Hardware Store. He first went in and purchased antifreeze, but returned later on the pretense of trading in his rifle. He shot Bernice, killing her, then taking her back to his farm. And I'm gonna stop for a second. So I'm assuming Bernice is like the owner of that store. Yeah, that she correct? was. She was like one of the clerks at the store, the only ones there. So the the whole town had been basically like deserted from all the men because they went on that deer yeah. hunting. 
event, and apparently it was a pretty big event in Plainfield. Um, so it was mostly deserted. There was a bunch of women in the town that didn't go, and he just went into the... He bought antifreeze, left, came back, and then shot Bernice, and then put her back in his truck, and then drove her, drove her back to his farm. And on the pretense of trading in his rifle. So he's probably like, hey, I'm going to trade this in psych, and then went for it. Mm-hmm. And it, says, it even says that Bernice's son, Frank... Was the deputy sheriff in town? What? So like he literally killed the mom of the of the deputy sheriff in town, bro. What the? Yeah. Okay. So yeah. All right. All right. Deputy sheriff returned to town. He found his. Okay. Let me start that. So yeah, the Frank, the deputy sheriff, returned to town. He found his mother gone and blood stains on the floor. The cash register was open, and they found a twenty-two caliber rifle out of place on its rack. The only other item of note was a receipt for antifreeze made out of none other than Eddie Gein. Eddie Gein. Yeah, so this is basically his downfall. So uh, they found the receipt. I mean, maybe maybe the tavern owner, like, they were just like, oh, tavern owner died. Well, that sucks, you know? But now when he kills the the mom of the deputy sheriff, it's like, oh, shit, now we're actually going to do some actual police work. (laughs) You know? Damn, yeah. Maybe they didn't care about her. I don't know. Something to think about. So... Um, the police arrived at the farm that Ed called home and they found the whole house boarded and locked up. They entered the shed, um, or the outbuilding that was attached to the farm and they were unable to see a lot of anything because it was getting dark and the building had no electricity. The building smelled awful. The floor was covered in trash and waste and they continued through. One of the officers felt something brush up against his arm. He turned and looked and was horrified. He found the naked body of Bernice Warden hanging from the ceiling by her feet, dressed and gutted out like a deer and decapitated. Oh, my God. Yikes. Uh, Bernice had been beheaded and slid open from the vagina to the sternum. So, um, yeah, literally, exactly just gutted like a deer. So they entered Ed's house and pitch black. You can imagine it's starting to get dark. Ed's Ed. They don't know if Ed's in the house yet. Um, but basically he sees his mom. I mean, can you imagine that mm. seeing your mother like that? That would just be awful. Yeah. Terrifying. So really sad and really sad ending to the story. But, uh, the police, they gathered up her body and stuff, gave her proper burial. But as they searched the house over the next few days, uh, they arrested Ed. Ed wasn't home. He was, I think at his brother's house. Or, like, someone he knew in town, he was at their house having dinner, but they eventually did arrest him when he returned home. But they looked through the entire house, through all the stuff, and this is a list of all of the things little Eddie had in his home. So they found whole human bones and fragments, a wastebasket made of human skin, human skin covering several chair seats, skulls on top of his bedposts, Female skulls, some of the top sawn off for, uh, to make bowls out of. A corset made from a female torso, skin from shoulders to waist. Leggings made from human leg skin. Masks made from the skin of female heads. Eek, that's... Eek. Yeah. Uh, Mary Hogan's face mask in a paper bag. Mary Hogan's skull in a box. Bernice Warden's entire head in a burlap sack. Bernice Warden's heart in a plastic bag in front of Gein's pot-bellied stove. Nine Volve in a shoebox. That's 
that's yeah. just gross. Uh, they also found a young girl's dress and the vulvas of two females judged to have been about 15 years old. God damn it. Yeah, it's just sad. Um, this one's this one's gross. A uh, belt made from human female nipples. Four noses, a pair of lips on a window shade drawstring, a lampshade made from the skin of a human face, and fingernails from female fingers. So uh, all of this stuff was gathered up, and it was taken to the state crime lab, then destroyed. I mean, you can imagine how traumatizing that crime scene must have been. Yeah. Especially for the deputy sheriff. Uh, his mom was a big part of it. So uh, just really sad, honestly, and disgusting. Yeah, that's, I don't know how to feel about that. Um, so after all this, Ed was sentenced to life in prison for murder. He eventually died at the age of 77. He had lung cancer and died due to respiratory failure. His body was laid to rest at the Plainfield Cemetery, where visitors uh, chipped pieces from his gravestone until the stone was eventually stolen in year 2000. It was recovered in 2001 near Seattle, Washington. Ed Gein's grave remains unmarked, but he can still be found, buried between his parents and his brother Henry in Plainfield, Wisconsin. Yeah, so I thought this last part was interesting about the headstone. I thought we could include it. Um, so after they buried him, people would go to the cemetery of Ed Gein and just chip pieces of off of his off of his headstone. And eventually someone just stole the whole thing. <laughs> and it went missing till almost 2001. Some Ed Gein fanboy yeah. just really had to have it. And it was found in Seattle. And I think it was on eBay or something, and that's how the police found it. <laughs> so, but they haven't even given him a new marker, which this bastard doesn't deserve one. No, yeah. Um, But... I just thought that was pretty interesting. This. You know what's like frustrating to me is why is he in prison? Like, yeah. After all that, dude. It's just because I mean, of I insanity. Know. You know, you can't really punish someone that's like really insane. Which, like, I get that, but like, come on. Like, you can't fix this. You can't. This is permanent. It's not, I mean, it's one thing when it's like mental health issues that you can fix or at least cope with, but this is something he obviously wasn't able to cope with or fix. The guy was reading the Bible in his mom's lap until he was 35. So, I mean, there was obviously a lot of issues. Yeah. But I'm just like sentenced to prison because of illness, Mm -hmm. because of his mental illness. That's it. That was it. Yeah. That's frustrating. He killed two people and like stole over 60 bodies. Wait, so it was only two people? It was only two that, he was on, well, that's all that they uh, confirmed that he killed. Oh, that's right, because he was digging up from the cemetery, mm-hmm. so that's how he got, okay. All yeah. the other body yeah. parts were from the cemetery. Dude. They said it was a few dozen bodies that he had defiled. So, uh, just, yeah, really gross, and really creepy, creepy guy. Yeah. Like, probably one of America's most prolific creepy psychos. And like I said, it's inspired a lot of movies. Like the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, Psycho, and the Silence of the Lambs. So in that regard, he's he's in, he's been the inspiration for a lot of really messed up movies as well. Um, are there actual images of him on the internet? There is, and the guy doesn't look like that creepy, honestly. Yeah, let me pull this up real quick. The he actually just kind of looks like a normal guy, just like a normal farmer guy, but he definitely had kind of like a droopy eye, which made him seem a little creepy. Dang, yeah. I mean, looking at him, you can't. You can't he really... looks like a normal person. Mm-hmm. You're right. He does have like a weird looking eye, but nothing out of place. I mean, you have to look for it. Yeah. He didn't seem like he was that far Man. gone. All right. Well, that officially creeps me out. <laughs> yeah. It's like a 
Ted Bundy 2.0, but probably not his worst, maybe. Yeah. Ugh. Creepy, for sure. Alrighty. Well, I don't know if you have anything else on that, but I think he's just a creepy dude. Yeah, really a psycho. Okay, well, with that being said, we're going to wrap up Season 1, Episode 10 of the Dark Things Podcast. The next season will be coming out after this episode is released. Uh, Hunter, do you want to talk about other things that we'll be covering in the future? Um, well, we have a lot of exciting topics we want to talk to everybody about and um, hope you can kind of forgive our uh, just trying to like get our podcast started here with season one. We're going to hope that season two gets a little bit better as we go on. Uh, we're going to try to get some sponsors for the podcast, get some better equipment, you know, as this mic kind of starts to go. <laughs> <laughs> um, but we do appreciate all your support and uh, just... The only thing you can do for us is just keep listening and give us a five-star review if possible. And uh, we much appreciate that. So um, this has been season one of the Dark Things podcast, kind of our pilot season. Uh, we're only going to go up from here. Yep. All right. So that being said, if you need to shoot any questions, comments, concerns, you can direct those to the Dark Things podcast at gmail.com. Um, as it will, you can leave us a five-star review on your platform of choice. You can check us out on social media to keep up to date with our episode releases and all of that. Uh, it's been a pleasure. We'll see you on season two. Thank you. Hey, hey.